Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? Ooh, you think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallup Anderson. Stop it now behind your head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Oh, boy. Lang Whitaker of Slam Magazine and many other endeavors, NBA TV, the social media maven, as I saw uh, on one email today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. What's a maven? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Uh, Shaku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com here. The Hangtime podcast, episode 82. Um we could be, you know, we could be here reading obits for a couple of proud franchises, but uh, in, in the spirit of competition, I'm going to refrain from writing off either the San Antonio Spurs or the Miami Heat before they actually lose the series that they're playing in right now, conference finals for both of them. But Lang, there are a lot of people putting nails in those coffins already before, you know, before tonight's game between the Spurs and Thunder here in Oklahoma City and also uh, before game six between the Heat and Celtics Thursday night. Are you, are you ready to turn the page yet on these guys or you think we should hold off a little bit? Didn't we learn our lesson in the last round with Miami and Indiana? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we all thought it was done. We thought the Pacers had this thing locked down and now the Pacers are going fishing. Yeah, um, I think we learned our lesson. I'm not ready. I don't, I don't, I don't write anyone off till it, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> Send Lenny Kravitz your money. Um, no, I, I thought the same thing. Uh, you know, looking around this morning and listening to all these things and reading all this stuff, and you, you know, people are so reactionary after every game in a series. I guess that's the nature of the beast. But it it is hard not to forecast and look at and and see the way a team gets beat or where they get beat you know both of the 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 spurs and the heat losing critical game fives on their home floors yeah Uh, i mean that that's pretty remarkable for you know 
unbelievable performance, obviously, by the, the Thunder to go into San Antonio and to beat a team three times that had won 20 straight and uh, hadn't lost three in a row all season. Stunning. But then the, the Celtics come back, and to me, oof, I don't which which one was more surprising <laughs> to you? Which which win <laughs> caught you by surprise? You know more, I guess. I think game. I think last night, game game five. Um, to me, that was you know I kind of thought Miami would win at home, um, and the Celtics. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like Miami was would be better at home, be ready to go, and the Celtics just kind of hung around, hung around, hung around, and then fourth quarter flipped a switch that so many teams can't do <laughs> and uh, were able to do it, you know? Yeah. I was in a heated uh, instant message debate earlier today, Lang, with a, uh, a good friend of the program and a colleague of ours, Jeff Case, from, a guy I called the prime minister at the Hangtime blog. Uh, and we were debating uh, about, you know, uh, some of the moves that franchises have made, we started, you know, we started off talking about some of these GM candidates who are floating around and who's done a great job at rebuilding a franchise and the culture of a franchise and who hasn't. And we had to, we had to get into the, the realm of, well, what really qualifies you to say you've really rebuilt a franchise? And, and I was saying that what Sam Presti and his staff have done with the Thunder is a, is to me officially qualifies. You make two straight trips to the conference finals with the team as young as theirs. You know when your core group of stars are as young as theirs, right? That qual that qualifies as a turnaround, even without winning a championship. And Jeff was kind of arguing the other side that you know if if you get a franchise and and you put them on a winning track and they have the potential to do something, not necessarily ha- they've done it already, but if they you know if they just have you go from being a, a lottery team to having a group that can make the playoffs every year. That's to him. That was, you know, just as val- you know, valid. And I was saying, what, what do you think it, what's the bar for a franchise turnaround in your eyes and in, in terms of taking a team from the bottom, maybe not all the way to the top, but at least in, you know, on the road to the top. Well, two teams come to mind right off the top of my head when that's the Hawks and the Clippers, Mm-hmm. of teams that were, you know, in the basement or, or or not looking up and that are now both playoff teams and, you know, arguably top half of the playoff teams. Um, so to me, I, I don't know, maybe it's relative, you know. Maybe if it's a team like if the Spurs rebuild at some point when these guys um, age out of this, you know, is that really rebuilding or, or is it not? I guess it depends how far you have to go to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it also depends on, you know, because the Spurs didn't exactly bottom out completely. They had a bad year. David Robinson got hurt. They had a bad year. They get Tim Duncan, and then they go, you know, they spent a year basically. Right. In in the ether. They didn't, it wasn't like they were some five-year team in the lottery year after year. I just felt like, what the what the Spurs did, you know, was was wasn't as tough a build as maybe what the Thunder have done dating back to their Seattle days. Um, since since we'll beat it to death, let's let's bring on our first guest, Lang. Uh, Fran Blimberry of NBA.com has been all over the the Western Conference playoffs, all over the Spurs Thunder series. 
um, all over the Spurs since the start of the playoffs, and he's joining us now. We should have had him on here weeks ago, obviously. Fran, uh, first of all, how are you, sir? And uh, where, do, where do you think this Thunder turnaround in terms of their franchise and how quickly they've gotten to this point, where do you think that ranks in terms of what you've seen over the years and in regards to a franchise turning themselves around completely? Well, uh, first of all, good to be with you, Sick. Um, but, um, well, it, it, you know, it, it's different in that they've been able to do it with, you know, all of these young guys. A lot of teams, you know, uh, are able to make the transformation. As you pointed out, you know, that when the Spurs had the, the – they got Duncan in the lottery was when David Robinson was out for the year and they fell down. But so Duncan joins a veteran, uh, you know, dramatic turnarounds, where um, uh, you know Magic Johnson comes to the Lakers, but Kareem is there. Um, yeah, I, I get. Yeah, maybe you got to go as far back uh, as, as Boston when you bring in Bird as a rookie, and and then you know they make the deal for McHale and they get in, get in Robert Parrish. I mean, the idea that they it's all of these young guys that they brought in at the same time. There hasn't been a veteran anchor, somebody to say, well, you guys have all the talent. And you're gonna you're gonna be the future. Let me kind of show you the way. They haven't had that. These guys have just all grown up together, and and they've grown up really fast. And that's what makes this whole thing. If you're the rest of the league, damn scary. <laughs> you know, Kevin Durant is 23. Russell Westbrook is 23. James Harden is 22. Serge Ibaka is 22. I mean, my God, we're we're looking at a decade of this. Yeah. Well, Fran, as you've been, you know, following this series, uh, we were talking earlier about how, you know, everyone thought the Spurs, it looked like they were just going to roll all the way to the finals. And now, <laughs> now it's almost flipped around and everybody's like, oh, what's the matter with the Spurs? What, what was, what happened in this series that kind of shifted the momentum? Well, the, the, you know, these guys, these young guys just kind of stuck with the plan. And I think what a lot of us, you know, and, and first of all, I'll, I'll fess up right here. That uh, I said going into the series that it was the Spurs are going to win, and I think I'm already I'm on hang time as declaring them beating Miami in the finals. And boy, that was <laughs> that was that was wrong on so many levels. Now, you know? <laughs> you know? but uh, uh, I think what a lot of us did maybe in those first couple of games was we overlooked the fact that, or, or looked past the fact that Oklahoma City out- outplayed the Spurs for three quarters of Game One. And then maybe their their inexperience and their youth showed up a little bit when when the Spurs put the, the heat on them and they came back from a nine point uh, you know deficit and San Antonio wins game one and then wins game two you know pretty handily but you know the, the Oklahoma City was right there they had their split uh, and, and so it wasn't as as, as convincing really uh, you know it was a two zero margin coming to OKC but. It wasn't like they had just thoroughly, you know, whipped them for two games and, and got their heads down. And so they just stuck with the plan. They just said, you know, they've got what they've got um, it, it are, are bigs who are not just big, but they're, they're long and they are also, also athletic and quick enough to get out and cover up. I mean, they, they are smothering Tony Parker like nobody else. And then they're able to recover and also guard the three-point line. I, I think a lot has been – overlooked about that we all have been talking about Parker not getting there but the best shooting three-point team in the league cannot buy a three-point basket in this series huh. and I, I think Fran, those things are, are really the, tur- the, the turnaround yeah 
Fran, I, I, uh, I, I was seeing the game, seeing the body language of the Spurs. Um, you know, and you hate to look at just look at that appearance and say, man, they look older. They, you know, because when they're winning, you don't you don't even bother talking about how old they might be or man, you know, they look great. They, it doesn't matter how old they. Then they lose, and you notice how long it takes Tim Duncan to pick the ball up off the off the ground after a made thunder shot and and throw it out of bounds, and it just everything looks like it's being exaggerated. Dude, when when you see the 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 difference in foot speed of the of the Thunder star players and core players, and then the, compared to the Spurs, is it more pronounced? Do you think in this environment, or is it just a deal where there are going to be times when Duncan looks his age, and there are going to be times, you know, what I mean, when a guy like that looks his age, because I felt like it was more pronounced the other the night, particularly in game, late in Game Five when. The game looked like it sped up, and Duncan didn't look like he could keep the pace. Well, I, I, I think I think we kind of oversimplify it. We, yeah, like you said, like that, that we, when they lose, suddenly you know they're old, and they're ancient, they're decrepit, and all that. I, I think it's sometimes it's just you know when when you're out on the playground and you're playing, and you maybe you held the court for a couple of games, and then all of a sudden you know another team comes along, and they're just better than you. <laughs> and, and 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 I think that's where they're starting to hang their head. I think they're just frustrated that that these young guys. Are bottling up what has worked for them with the pick and roll, and then, like I said, recovering in time to not give them good three-point looks. They're getting shots, but a lot of the shots are not in exactly the same spots that they were. I've, I've watched San Antonio all year long. I've been in San Antonio, you know, more than a dozen times. So I've followed this team pretty closely, and and you know, Pop's got his spots where he wants his guys. They're they're maybe they're just moving them on these outside shots a little left, a little right. Uh, you don't you don't see Manu getting his his three pointer from the baseline, uh, you know, in this series. They're getting shots, but just not really where they want them. So uh, I don't know that it's that, that suddenly the age has set in because Pop has managed their minutes so well all year long. I think it's just what, what you're seeing. I believe is frustration, and that 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 this is a team, and and the guy who's talked about it the most on the Spurs is Steven Jackson. He's been talking as this thing is going on. He says, he will openly says, he says, these kids are growing. These kids are getting really confident. These kids are knowing, you know, what they can do. So uh, I, I think each time, you know, they go along and they do something a little bit right, they get a little bit more cocky. And, and uh, uh, like I said, I think the Spurs, what you're seeing, not so much is age, but you're seeing frustration. Well, Fran, if you had to pick a team that had the patience to, uh, to to deal with this and to kind of overcome that frustration, uh, don't you think the Spurs are, are probably pretty well suited to that uh, going forward here? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you're gonna if you're going to you know if you're gonna try to beat this Oklahoma City team, yeah, you gotta have some veterans who've been through the wars, right. and you've got to have a coach who knows what he's doing. And now now we get back to what Pop was talking about at shoot around this morning that we are not coming out and and playing physical and, and to use, the, the, I guess, the, the, the Stephen Jackson term, you know, we're not hitting them first. He says, you know, we're coming, the way he described it, uh, he said, especially in game five, he says, he said it wasn't effort. He says, but it was like we were just out following them around, trying to guard them. We weren't you know, making the first move. We, he said, they were getting into us. We have to get into them. So if they do that, then, then, yeah, they've got to move that ball around. I mean, those, those first two games, boy, it was a thing of beauty watching the ball move around. Actually, the first two and a half, 
rounds of the playoff that was that way. And that's what they've got to do. They've, they've got to get it around, but they've also got to make those shots, too. You know, Danny Green, you know, it, 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 it seems like months since he's made a shot. <laughs> and, you know, Gary, Gary Neal was 0 for 6 the other night. So all this great depth that, that me and a lot of other people have been singing praises of all season long, suddenly, you know, you're looking and you're saying, well, now that Manu's in the starting lineup, who can Pop really depend on, you know, to to uh, get it done? You're going well, Stephen Jackson, and well, maybe we're out of people. So you know, <laughs> it, it, it's funny how it, it, you know, it. I mean, if shots start falling, everything looks better, right? So yeah, yeah. they've got to, they, 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 they they're not going to do anything more drastic than than, than Manu in the starting lineup. Although I will say, I I, I don't totally agree with that move. I mean, you know, Pop's coached a lot and won a lot more games and got more rings than I do, but, uh, you know, the whole thing that the, the Spurs have done all year is stuck with the rotation, stuck with a plan. He's the guy who puts the juice in that second lineup, and I think that gives you a sort of, as I mentioned the other night in the column, a, kind of a whiff of desperation when you put that in there. It really puts the heat on that second lineup. Right. Now those guys really got to make the shots. Yeah. yeah. that you bring up an interesting point, Fran, the it was assumed that there would be this, you know, Grand Canyon-sized gulf between what Greg Popovich can do in a series from, you know, as a coach and what Scott Brooks can do. And I've I've always been a huge proponent of you can have the greatest coach in the world, but if his team's getting outplayed, there's not a whole lot of schemes he's going to be able to come up with to, to combat that. And I'm, I'm wondering, does, does a Thunder win in this series – in addition to, you know, watching them grow up and, and mature into a championship-caliber team, does it do anything to erase this idea that Scott Brooks isn't, a, isn't an excellent coach, which I happen to think he is, and, and I happen to think he probably, you know, I know he's coached here, but he doesn't get a ton of credit. He doesn't get a, a lot of headlines. He's not a – he doesn't say a whole lot of funny stuff. He certainly doesn't do forward interviews like Pop does um, and doesn't have all the rings. But, I mean, does this do anything for him – in terms of people evaluating his his abilities as a head coach, well, yeah, you know, I'm with you. I think it should, but you're asking me a different question. You're asking me, will it? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, Seiko. I mean, I, I think that that you know, this is all about these you know these core guys, these young guys, and the talk yeah. and all the credit given to Sam Presti and Sam. Boy, he deserves it for what he's done. Uh, and, and, and Scotty's kind of the, you know, the caretaker. You know, you, you, you sit over there and, and uh, uh, people look at him as the guy who makes excuses for, you know, Russell Westbrook when, you know, when he temporarily loses his mind, you know, every other game. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, I, I don't know. So if you're asking me the question, will it get him the credit? No, I don't, I, I don't think it will. I think we'll go into the finals, uh, you know, with – Especially if it's Boston, especially you know Doc Rivers against Scotty, it'll, it, people will look at this one. When people were doing the matchups and putting the check marks, they might put two checks next to Doc you know, <laughs> against Scotty. And, 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 and yeah, I, I, I don't think that's fair. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really interesting. It, it just all seems to be about just letting these young guys go out there and be who they are, and 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 the, the perception is make excuses for them and and. You know, we, you know, I can't believe we're, we've been talking now for a few minutes and we haven't got up the whole Westbrook situation yet. 
And no, I know where you come. We're down. saving the uh, we're saving Westbrook <laughs> for next week's podcast, friend. We <laughs> we're thinking about to do a special on West on the Westbrook dynamic if they make the finals. Just do a whole podcast dedicated to how many different ways you can dissect the guy's game. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I know. I'll tell you what. I know I'm in the, I'm in the minority on this one, but I I tend to be with you know minority in the media, but I I, I kind of tend to be with uh, Sam Presti on this one that I think the guy can be. Russell Westbrook can can blow up a, a good game faster than anybody around. He can be you know crazy as can be, but I'm not getting rid of him. I'm not trading him because I think the minute you trade him, you spend the next ten years trying to find another Russell Westbrook type of player. This 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 era NBA, you need a dynamic break him down point guard, and you live with all the you live with the faults and hope that he grows through them. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. You got you got company here in in a in agreement <laughs> about Russell Westbrook. You also have company on the Hangtime blog in uh, botching the pick in this series. You were not the only one, my friend, who picked Spurs to you know in six or whatever it was to win this series. So um, we'll keep you company uh, when all yep. the people are, are reminded. Yeah, yeah, but I, 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 I had yeah. Spurs over Miami though. So think about it. <laughs> you know, that's, you know that's, that's a complete swing and a miss on you know. Oh my gosh. Oh well. <laughs> Fran Blimberry of NBA.com joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Thank you much, sir. Uh, we'll see you later on and uh, enjoy game six of the I'll, Western Conference Finals. I'll see you with the craziness tonight, thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Lang, he's he's right. I, I mean, we could, we could dedicate an entire show to Russell Westbrook and what – what he does for that Thunder team because the other night I was tweeting during the game like I was giving everybody the business about bad mouthing Russell Westbrook and like literally after I hit send he had like three or four plays was like oh no he's let you know he's letting the Spurs right back in the game a turnover and a missed shot and a you know he's one of those guys that's going to end up being scrutinized in this way probably for much of his career don't you think in terms of he could win championships. I mean, he could do a lot of things, but he's always going to have that tag yeah. that he was reckless and, you know, as a young player. I mean, I, I hate it, but but I happen to agree with, with anybody else who thinks that you don't you don't toss aside talent like that because it's a little rough around the edges. But, don't I mean, what point guard doesn't have little, you know, blips where they make a bunch of turnovers or they miss a shot or, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Tony Parker's had – moments where he's missed a couple shots or he turned it over or whatever. Um, you know, at 23 years old, I, I, I can live with that from Westbrook. <laughs> and, you know, and also when people are like, well, he shoots too much. What was the game earlier in this series where him, Durant, and um, Harden combined for 90 points and they still lost? Right. Where, where else are you going to get those points? Because if you trade for a pass-first point guard – uh, I, you know, that's a lot of points you're losing for, from uh, from that position, and they depend on that. Yeah, I refuse to. I mean, I refuse to entertain this idea that you trade him. It's the same way I felt when people were talking about Rondo getting traded earlier in the year. It's like yeah. you don't trade un- unless you have to. Like unless you're forced into a position like the Hornets were with Chris Paul, you don't trade those sorts of talents, particularly at that position. Yeah, unless you absolutely have to. I um, totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it's, let's not be foolish here. And and I remember last year when the Mavericks were, were putting the screws to the Thunder in the conference finals. And it was the tension about Westbrook 
uh, you know, amongst fans and amongst people who are observing the series, the media, whoever, it was real. Like there were people who were ready to toss him aside. And I'm like, man, this is his first trip, you know, past the first round of the playoffs. You got to give him time to, to grow into, um, you know, that role and, and, and what he's going to be as a player. Um, you know, and Lang, we'll, we'll, we'll move right on to our next guest and ask his opinion about Russell Westbrook and then some more about Miami and uh, Boston, of course. But Zach Lowe of SI.com is good good enough to join us here on the Hang Time Podcast as well. And uh, Zach, where do, you, where do you weigh in on the Russell Westbrook dilemma that everybody seems to believe is, is out there? Uh, I, how you doing, guys? Good man. Hey, good. man. Good, good. Just wanted to be polite. Uh, uh, as for Westbrook, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not sure how much of a dilemma there is. I mean, Oklahoma City was the number one or number two offense the entire season, and you know, in the in the small picture, he definitely takes some bad shots early in the shot clock. He'll break some plays to sort of wildly drive to the rim and all that. And you know, in the in the small picture down at the end of a close game one possession really matters and all of that and, and he's got to dial it back sometimes but in the big picture I mean this team works it's the way it plays the way it's built it's successful and it works and although he could refine some things in his game for sure I mean you, you can't argue with the results in the big picture they just keep getting better they keep getting further in the playoffs they keep winning right Zach um I know you uh you wrote today actually about Boston taking that three to two lead in the series Seiko and I talked a little bit about it earlier, but, you know, to you, how did Boston take this 3-2 lead in the series? Uh, I mean, you know with Boston, they bring, they're bring they bringing the defense every game. You know, right. and I think the playoffs has been a lot of fun for all of us who love the NBA and love characters like Kevin Garnett because it's sort of the casual fan has sort of rediscovered, holy cow, this guy is really freaking good. Yeah. And, you know, every hole that opens up on defense – for a split second, Barnett is there or telling the next guy to be there or doing whatever, whatever needs to be done. And they're going to bring that every game. You know what I mean? They're going to have a chance to win almost every game as long as they just score at, at even like an average rate. And that was the thing with the Celtics all year is that they just couldn't score. As an offensive team, they were like the rough equivalent of the Wizards. They were terrible. And they were <laughs> terrible against Atlanta, and they were terrible against Philadelphia. And they just ground out those series with defense, and they just sort of look like, okay, I mean, look. Do you know what they look like? They look like a team that would have been eliminated by the Bulls had Derrick Rose been healthy. Right. And yeah. then they got to the Heat, and all of a sudden they're scoring points. They're scoring points at an above-average rate. They're making threes. They're taking advantage of, frankly, inexcusable breakdowns in Miami's transition defense. And they got just a few players that are outworking everyone else on the court, and that includes Garnett and Rondo, who got to every single freaking loose ball within his vicinity last night. Mm-hmm. Zach, I'm a little embarrassed. We've gone, you know, nearly a half hour on the Hang Time podcast here and have not mentioned LeBron James, which is, I don't know if that's some sort of crime to go that long talking about NBA basketball and you don't bring <laughs> up LeBron. <laughs> but he's taken some some unnecessary shots from people in my eyes for not, you know, delivering late in games, not doing this, not doing that. Don't don't the other guys on that team, and I don't mean Wade, I'm talking about Shane Battier, Udonis Haslam, don't the role players on the Heat have to do something? I mean, you see 
Ibaka in the West, you see some of these other players on the, on the other side that are stepping up and playing big in the finals, conference finals. Don't don't the rest of the Heat have some responsibility here? Well, that's the funny thing about how everyone loves to talk about the Heat is when the role players do play well, like they did in the last three games of the Pacers series and the first couple games of this series, everyone talks about, oh, how huge is it when Mike Miller hits three early three-pointers? You know, what a lift. How important it is when Mario Chalmers scores 18 points. You know, how badly do the Heat need that every game? That's exactly what they need. And then when all of those guys fall flat in the same game, the analysis is, well, James and Wade failed. And really, James and Wade played about what James have Wade, James and Wade have played. You know, with the exception of the occasional supernova explosion that did it in the Pacers and things like that. And the other guys shot. To, I don't know what they were, but they were they were like something like seven for thirty-five or some just awful number. And you can't get nothing from all of them in the same game and win. You need to get something from one or two of them, right. or else James and Wade have to score eighty points. Right, which they can do. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely can do. It. And, you know, that's what you – when you play this team and you're Boston and you're just sort of wheezing through one close game after another, you're, you're just praying that you don't get one of those games. Well, let's say Boston closes the series out. How do you see them matching up against either of the Western Conference teams? Uh, I would be very frightened if I were a Boston fan. <laughs> because, I mean, those teams are just – they're just at another level right now from, from everyone else. And I, I think the Thunder are especially are just – I mean, the Heat bring overwhelming athleticism too, but the, the Thunder bring almost even more overwhelming athleticism, I think, and they bring it without sort of the baggage and the, and the you know, self-consciousness that the Heat bring. And they're, and they're deeper and bigger and jumpier on the front line. I, I just think that's a very, very tough matchup for yeah. the Celtics and for, for anybody. Yeah, Zach. In addition to you know whatever might be in store in the in the NBA Finals, this people were worried. I know about what this season would be like. You know when we had a lockout and everybody's kind of wondering was there going to be a season at all? Could could what we've seen so far in the playoffs have exceeded your wildest expectations? The reason I ask that is because my brother called me uh, the other day and he's a big basketball fan. Um, and and he was like, man, I cannot get over how great the playoffs have been, you know. And I was like, having been in, you know, in the mix of it, I don't, I don't really sit around thinking about that every day. Like, oh man, the playoffs are great, playoffs are great. But then you talk to people who are fans, and th- and they're like blown away at how good the drama and the games have been in these playoffs. Have you stopped for a second to kind of look at it and say, man, we, you know, this is pretty remarkable that we got this after the sort of season and the regular season with people worried about injuries and all that. This has been some pretty good conference finals, has it not? Yeah, it's funny. I'm with you. It's like when you're in the muck of this and on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis, you don't step back and think about, you know, whether there's an asterisk or how how good the quality of play has been. And It's hard to sit back and do that. But, yeah, I mean, look, the ratings are through the roof. And I think a big part of why the playoffs feel so exciting is, you know, all the stuff we've talked about, how how James and Wade – really did eviscerate the Pacers and and reach a new level that we didn't think they were going to reach. And just how high the quality of play in San Antonio and Oklahoma City has been and sort of the anticipation as they started to steamroll everyone with double-digit wins and clutch wins for the Thunder, the anticipation of, okay, these are emerging as the two best teams and, you know, unlike in the Eastern Conference where injuries have sort of thrown things into chaos, we're going to get them at full strength 
for hopefully seven games. And, and the series has largely, I think, lived up to the hype. Right. Zach, uh, or Seku, I actually saw Zach last week mm-hmm. at the uh, NBA draft lottery. I was there and waiting on the elevator to go up to the studio as they were going to announce the final picks. And this room opens and like a bunch of GMs and people come out of a room along with Zach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Zach was actually uh, behind the scenes at the draft. Uh, maybe you can explain it better, Zach, but for all the people who have conspiracy theories, Zach is here <laughs> to debunk all those. Yeah, they're all nuts, obviously. Um, you know, you know like the, the NBA does this every year, right? They let like three or four reporters into the secret room where the lottery actually happens before the televised uh, envelope lottery. And, you know, I was what they let they asked me to do it this year because, they, they, frankly, you know, what they asked me to do it is because a long time ago I made a joke about how funny it was going to be when the Hornets won the lottery back during the Chris, <laughs> during the Chris Paul stuff. And immediately the NBA emailed me a few guys. I know they're like, all right, you know what? You're making jokes. We're going to let you in the room. And I was like, well, I'm just joking. I don't think there's actually a conspiracy. It was a joke, but they let me in. And yeah, I mean, you sit there and it's all these sweating, nervous, foot tapping GMs and assistant GMs with worksheets in front of them of the various ping pong ball combinations that, that uh, belong to their teams. And, the NBA has a very sort of ritualized way of drawing the ping pong balls. There's rules for how many seconds have to pass before the next one gets sucked up. There's an Ernst and Young guy monitoring the whole thing. And they're just sort of, as each ball comes up, they're sort of furiously looking at their sheets to see if any combinations are still alive. And it's a pretty tense atmosphere. I've actually been in that room before, Zach, uh, a lifetime ago when I <clears throat> excuse me, made trips to the draft lottery on an annual basis covering Lang's favorite team, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, <laughs> and I, and I remember being in there one time and I, I was like kind of taken aback at how unfriendly everybody was in the, in that room, like in the sequestered room before they actually found out who did what, like we're sitting up there and I, I hate to name names, but there was a GM from Portland who was in there at that time, I think, and a couple of the guys. And I was, you know, I was trying to make a joke and be nice. And I kind of got a couple of looks like, we don't joke in this room. Like, you know, we're in here for a reason. There is no fun in this room until somebody wins the number one pick. Was it, was it a tense atmosphere in there between the guys? Like, was there any, any kind of uh, joking or interplay between the GMs or were they all kind of just locked in on, on trying to get that number one pick? It's funny. There were different personalities there. And some of the guys I knew pretty well beforehand. So like I had an ease with them that I didn't have with, with some of the other guys and they would, they were willing to talk, but it's Mm. funny, like Portland and the Nets sort of had conflicting interests in the lottery, right? Like New Jersey had the top three protected pick and, and the two guys that were representing them, they were, they were seating, seated right, seating right next to each other. And and they they were, they had a couple of jokes about like, Oh, you know, you know, me and you were big rivals today. You know, we can't talk to each other. And they were, they were sort of joking around. And then there were a couple other guys, you know, Joe Lacob, the owner of the Warriors was, I mean, visibly tense and nervous and wanted the thing over with <laughs> to see if they could keep their pick. Ernie Grunfeld looked pretty nervous, but it was not an, it was not an ungenial crowd. It was just sort of, it was definitely quieter leading up to the lottery than it was after when everyone could mingle for a while. And of course the Bobcats guy was, was very unhappy with how things turned out. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Bobcats guy is probably very unhappy every day right now, uh, and for good reason. But you, yeah. uh, do you do you want to even dive in and guess who we see in the NBA Finals? Um, I mean, you know, everybody loves making predictions. We've taken a bunch of ours from the past month or so, and uh, 
kicked him across the room here. But I mean, should we should we expect to see a Celtics Thunder finals, or or should we be you know be a little more patient and wait until Friday morning to start talking about that? You know, I mean, we should always be a little more patient, but at the same time, you know, life goes on, and you have to talk about what what the present state of things is. And the present state of things is those two teams have a three two lead, and they're both going home. Um, I'm actually surprised. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I saw Sebastian Pruiti of Grantland and Woj from Yahoo and a couple other guys have come out and said, we think the Spurs are going to come back and win game six and seven. And I'm actually surprised how many people have made that prediction because this series to me has the feel of the Thunder has found something and are really have, have asserted themselves as the better team in this matchup. And, you know, absent a sort of last gasp Spurs rally, uh, in Game Five, it really has taken on the air of the Thunder has figured this out and they're super confident. And but uh, you know, but the Spurs are great, you know. But a win, a win by them tonight in Oklahoma City would surprise me. It, it looks like more than it would surprise some other people. Yeah, <laughs> Lang, you you think uh, you think this thing is a is a wrap or uh, you know? I mean, I know we talk about it every week and then we change our minds after that, but. <laughs> Well, back in December, I picked Oklahoma City and Miami in the finals. So uh-huh. I'm sticking with those picks, at least until I'm proven wrong. And then I'll say, I, well, I knew all along, but I was just trying to, to back up my picks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Mike Gundy in me wouldn't mind seeing KG and the rest of the old men uh, in Boston pull off a shocker and, yeah. and, and, really, and really do this. And I think – I don't know that they figured it out. Zach, the way the Thunder might have, but I think there's something to be said for just flat having more guts and more heart than the team you're playing against. And that's not a knock on the heat, but I think I think the Celtics have more of it in more places and can call on more of it at the right times. Um, you know, in a, in a situation like this, I, I'm not mad. I would I went into the conference final saying I don't care what combination of these four teams you know, ends up coming out of it. I don't, I could care less. We're going to get a great finals either way. But now that we're here, like you said, three, two, with these two teams having a chance to close these things out on their home floors, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be really surprised if we end up with a couple of game sevens and I'll be, I I can see one. And I, and I think the East has a better shot of going to seven, but I'll be, I'll be really surprised if the, if the Thunder don't win this game tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And, you know, at the same time, it's like, God knows what the Heat are going to do in this game. I mean, it's like they've just become impossible to deal with in terms of trying to predict how they're going to play game in and game out. And and the Celtics at home, you know, again, at home is key for them. They just seem to find a way to win these games, even when you just wonder, you ask questions, is someone going to get in foul trouble? Are they older? Are they tired? When they're at home, they they, they just find a way to win. I don't know how. I don't know why. But their home record versus their road record is, is even a bigger discrepancy than than you'd expect in the in the big three era. Yeah. Yep. Zach Lowe from SI.com, good enough to join us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Thank you, my friend. We will uh, see you down the road somewhere. Enjoy, guys. Thanks. Zach. All right. Take care. I don't know, Lang. I'm, I'm I feel I feel ridiculous because we could, we've been on here every week and we we think the world is. Is rotating one way, and then we come back the next week, and it's rotating the other way. Yeah, I'm, you know, I don't, you know, this is this is some of the best drama you you know, you uh, you could ask for in the playoffs, and and I'm serious. I was talking, I was mentioning my brother. He was he was asking me about that the other day. He's like, man, are you are you loving these playoffs like I am? And I was thinking, 
Yeah, I was like, yeah, I love it all the time. But I mean, I love it when it's not. <laughs> I love it when we don't get thrillers and, you know, down to the wire games between the best of the best like this. I mean, I, always, I love it every day, but it does resonate, I think, with with fans when you have this sort of high drama. Um, right. Well, I figured, gonna... I figured you were picking Oklahoma City to win tonight just because you're ready to go home. No, no. I mean, it really, I love San Antonio, too. Look, look I, I told somebody – once you take LA out of the mix in the West and it, it's just, it's about basketball. You stop caring about, you know, what hotel you're staying in, right, right. how close you are to the beach and how close, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't care about that stuff after LA comes out of the, out of play. I mean, it's to me, the thunder and the spurs, they play a brand of basketball. And we talked about it before the, the, the West conference finals match was made. Everybody kind of knew that if we got those two in that matchup in the conference finals, we would probably see, some of the best basketball of the year. And I, and I maintain like the other night watching Kevin Durant work off the dribble. And I know he does it all the time, but there was like an extra burst in his step the other night in game mm-hmm. five. I kept saying to myself, man, Durant is beating his man off the dribble. Like, and he wasn't even driving to the lane all the time. He was just kind of beating his man off the dribble and initiating action in yeah. ways the other night that I did. I was like, Maybe I'm maybe I'm the only one who, who thought that, but I, I I assume I'm not. He just seemed like he was playing with a heightened sense of urgency and intensity, and, the, and that entire Thunder team was. That's all I asked for. I just want to see the best <laughs> of the best go. You know what I'm saying? I just want to see the best recognize the magnitude of the moment and go after it. And I think that's what's been so special about watching the way the Thunder has bounced back and really, you know, put themselves in a position to do something humongous here. Um, and then to see the Celtics and KG do it on you know on the eastern side is is just as fantastic. So uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, the finals matchup to me is is what it is. But I I'm gonna savor the last however many minutes we have of these two conference finals matchups as well. Yeah, I was in that fourth quarter the other night. I was watching uh, the Oklahoma City San Antonio game, and I was thinking, you know, at some point here, I was thinking they would just go to Durant and clear it out. And let him, you know, go one on one against his man, because that's a pretty unique weapon that they can use, and it's pretty effective. And they didn't even really have to do it um, down the stretch that came. You know, uh, <laughs> they have so many other weapons and so many other ways to get points and Harden hit that big three. But uh, you know, to me, that's what makes Oklahoma City so strong and so tough to defend. And and you know, I, and to what Fran said earlier, I was thinking about. When San Antonio was on that 20-game run, to me, that they were kind of dictating the action to everyone else they played against. And now, like, the, the move with Ginobili and everything, that, to me, felt a little more reactionary than proactive yeah. on their part. And I feel like from that sense, and that's in that sense or from that standpoint, that the Spurs kind of have a little – well, the Thunder have more control over this than yeah. the Spurs do at this moment. Yeah, it's almost like you show your hand a little bit, you know. Yeah. The first team to to kind of flinch a little bit, um, because the the Thunder didn't scrap their plans for Game Three and say, you know, we're down 0-2, we got to go home and uh, you know and, and blow up the game plan and figure out a new way to to deal with this team. They just went home and played better. Yeah, you know, they had. They went home and played better. Everybody started, you know, 
they made some a few little like substitution tweaks, you know. Yes, like, they they definitely did some some minor tweaks. I thought the big a, a big thing that they they did Lang was taking Tavo Cephalosha and putting him on Tony Parker. Yeah, and and know? playing uh, Ibaka more down the stretch. Yeah, you know, then in game one he didn't really get in that much in the fourth quarter. But yeah, yeah. And, and one of the tough things about you know the foul, you know LeBron and, and Pierce foul not the other night. There's all sorts of stuff that can go haywire. Yep. And, in any game. And that was a good illustration to me that, you know, you, it's hard to count on a lot of things going the, exactly the way you want them in the playoffs. And to yeah. me, the teams that are able to adjust to that on the fly and, and, and pick up a huge effort from some dude you weren't expecting it from is what tends to get you through in the playoffs. It happens every year. Somebody goes down, somebody struggles, somebody fouls out. Somebody turns and like whatever it always happens, and somebody's always there to step up. To me, these these next couple games and maybe these next four games, depending on what happens in the series, is an opportunity for guys like Mike Miller. We talked about you know Danny Green. Some this is a great opportunity for one of these people, yeah, to to step up and and kind of you know make his make his legend a little bit in the playoffs. We'll see if it happens. Um, but the opportunity, the door is certainly open for all of that sort of stuff to take place. Yep. So we need to thank our guests, Fran Blimberry of NBA.com and Zach Lowe of SI.com coming on, uh, chopping up the playoffs with us here on episode 82 of the Hangtime Podcast. Lang, I, you know, I don't know what's in store for the finals, but I promise you this, we will be talking uh, win or lose. We're talking LeBron James, Dwayne Wade in the heat next week. <laughs> and, and we need to find somebody in Miami either to break down how this thing fell apart or to come on and talk about the you know yep. where where they found the 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 guts to dig out of this three two hole and win that series and make it to the finals. So we we already know at least half of our our show next week. We know what the topic's going to be. It's just a, just a matter of which way it goes. Uh, but I'll see you, my man, uh, somewhere. Hopefully, the next time we uh, do this show, we'll be sitting sitting somewhere uh, getting ready for the first game of the finals. Sounds good. All right, Lang Whitaker of Slam Magazine and other endeavors, my co-host in New York, this is Seku Smith. We will catch you next time on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang Whitaker. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do.